Jeremiah chapter number 2. Thinking about the words of that song and thinking about the heritage of our nation, there's just no way we could ever be thankful enough for all of the great things that God has done for us. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse number 11, Have the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this time, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. And our text for this morning, verse 13 For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It would be really easy to write a book on the dumbest decisions. And chances are, Everybody could make a contribution, and I'm certain that I could make uh, more than my share. And I think back over the years of dumb decisions that I have made, and uh, and uh, it seems like I can't get through a day without uh, making one of those. But as you look at history as a whole, and you think about entire nations that have chosen a direction that is not only contrary to the will of God, but a direction that ultimately is going to bring about their downfall. And over and over again, we see these instances of really dumb decisions. But I think of all of the illustrations we could use that Israel gives us the best example of a bad example. And when you look at the history of Israel, they have a a checkered history, you might say, because it's a record of ups and downs. Uh, and because of that, it's a tremendous commentary on human nature. What we see in that nation is what we often see in our very nature. And just as they failed over and over again, we find ourselves failing as individuals and then uh, As a corporate hold, as a nation, we fail as a result of that. Looking at the nation of Israel, we find many different shadows and types that picture our relationship with God. And notice here in our text verse and in several other places, we see that our need of God is pictured by water. I mean, that's the one thing that we can't live without. And here we see the foolishness of man in choosing the broken cisterns over a fountain. You know, throughout history we see people making these foolish choices and uh, sometimes they trade away something of great value for something that ultimately uh, amounts to nothing. And that's what we, we see here. I want you to notice that, that here at the very beginning it speaks as to the fact that they forsook God. They forsook God. There's evidence of that, by the way, all through the writings of Jeremiah and the other prophets. 
Because to forsake the law of God is to forsake God himself. You see, the law is God's standard. The law speaks of God's authority. And when we ignore God's law, we are forsaking God himself. It's like, it's like us saying, you know, I don't need you or I don't respect you. I, I don't want you. And that's the fearful thing about our situation as a nation because that is exactly what we've done. We live in a country with an absolutely amazing constitution. It, it is a document unlike anything else that man has ever written, I believe. That's my opinion. And it is a miracle in the way that it was formed and came to us. But in addition to that amazing constitution, we have a glorious heritage. We have a mighty army. We have vast resources. And yet with all of that going for us, we have a bleak outlook for the future. I say that because we have a republic that's being ripped apart from within. A president who is pitiful. A congress that is corrupt. A supreme court that is confused, a press that is perverted, a populace that has been pampered and spoiled and raised with an entitlement mentality that's willing to go whatever way the wind blows. We have a generation that's getting godless and worse as the days go by. We have a public school system that has poisoned the minds of our young people. We have an entertainment industry that is has an agenda, admittedly so, an agenda to destroy the morals of our nation. When you see a show or a TV program or whatever it is, you can bet, no doubt about it, they know exactly what message they're trying to convey. And it's not one that will be in our best interest. And then we look to the churches and we see a calamity. It's absolutely a bleak outlook when you take into consideration where America is today. And I fear it's worse than we even imagine. And what we need to remember is the same thing where Israel went astray and that is that decisions determine destiny. What we decide, the choices that we make, ultimately decides where we're going to end up. And he tells us here that they forsook the true and the living God. And we see the evidence of it and we see the air of it because man was designed by God for God. As somebody said that man has a, a, an empty place within him. That's the way we are. Without God, there is that emptiness that nothing else can fill. There is a lack of satisfaction that will forever be there until that void is filled with God. And then we see the end result of forsaking God, and that is, as Isaiah said, they that forsake God shall be consumed. If you read the rest of the book of Jeremiah, you see that very vividly declared again and again that because they forsook the true and the living God, because they forsook the one who protected them, the one who prospered them, as a result of that, God turned their enemies against them and just allowed the enemy to walk all over them. When we forsake God, mark it down, we have no 
protection whatsoever because God is either our best friend or He is our worst enemy and there's no middle ground. They forsook. No, notice, me. And you look back up and He is the one. He said in verse 7, I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit there and the goodness thereof. God had given them all of these blessings, as Kathy sang about a while ago. And in spite of all of that, they had forsaken Him. Notice, not only did they forsake God, remember He said they have committed two evils. There's not just one problem here. There's two problems. And remember this, because human nature is what it is, when man forsakes God, he must in some way have a compensating activity. By that, I mean that we don't just forsake God and leave it there. We forsake God and try to replace Him with something else. And they forsook the true and the living God, the one who is the fountain of living water, and it tells us that they formed cisterns as a result of it. Let me tell you, there's a big difference between a fountain and a cistern. Whenever you think about a fountain, you're talking about something that is free. When you talk about a cistern, you're talking about something that has been formed. One is provided, the other is produced. The one requires labor. Notice he says that, that, that they hewed out these cisterns in order to hold water. They, these things are depicted here as substitutes for God. But notice he said they hold no water. Being from Missouri and there in the Ozarks of all of the states, Missouri and Florida has probably, I think, more springs than, than any other of the states. And there at Big Springs, the largest one in Missouri, there's 286 million gallons of water per day that come up out of that spring. It is absolutely amazing. And look, there's no effort on the part of man whatsoever. That water is just just oozing up, as it were, from the ground. But whenever you think, listen, whenever you think about a cistern, that's something that you form in the ground to catch the runoff water or the falling water. And uh, whenever it's cracked, uh, it's useless. And he says they have broken Cisterns, and let me tell you, anything man makes, it's going to break. It's not going to survive. These cisterns represent different things that we that we put in as compensating factors for God. Look, it might be possessions. We read about that of the nation of Israel. Even when God had been so good to them, and even whenever they had forsaken God, and God promised to bring them back, and God promised to return them to the land, restore them to their former glory. Yet they become satisfied with what they have, with their prosperity, even while they were in bondage. And you mark it down, if the love of money is the root of all evil, and it is, not the money, but the love of it, then you just mark it down, there are going to be people that make God their or gold, their God. 
That's going to become the thing they pursue, the thing that they worship, the thing that they're dedicated to. And they'll lie, cheat, steal, kill, do whatever they've got to do in order to get it. But with some, it might not be possessions. It might be pleasure. And they don't care anything about getting a lot of money. I think about the hippie movement. And uh, think about a lot of those people. They didn't care. All they needed was an old jalopy van of some kind and had, had no concern about designer clothing. They had no concern about the finer things of life. You know, their motto was free love. Just get out here and let it all hang loose. Do whatever you want to do. Just enjoy life. Just live it up. And, you know, just don't bother us. They're not climbing up the social ladder or anything else. It's all about pleasure for them. By the way, the hippies are gone, but there's still people today that live for pleasure. That becomes their God. That's the thing that they pursue. That's the broken cistern that they're depending upon to provide satisfaction for their life. It might be sports, it might be recreation, it might be the entertainment industry or whatever it is. But as the Apostle Paul said, we'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's where we're at today. We see that in the salaries of the professional athletes and the entertainers. And we see that in how that our younger generation tries to mimic the likeness of those people. There are people that absolutely worship pleasure. Others worship possessions. With some, it's popularity. That's the most important thing in their life. They don't care if they don't have a lot of possessions. They really don't care whether or not, you know, they, they travel the world and see all of the wonders of the world and stuff like that. For them, they just want to make it to the Hall of Fame. They want to make the headlines. They want to get in the limelight. They just want to be popular as long as everybody likes them, as long as they can make a name for themselves. That becomes their God. That's all they care about. And then there are those that that depend upon power. They, they want to rule. They want to reign. They want to conquer. They want to control. They want to dominate. They want to be a God, as it were, over others. Let me tell you, it would scare you to death if you actually knew the real true feelings of a lot of people that are involved in politics today. That's, that's all some of them care about is a position of power so they can lord it over others. These are all broken cisterns. These are all things that people depend upon in place of God to provide satisfaction. And none of those things ever bring any satisfaction. But then maybe the worst of all is religion. You ever stop and think about all the shocking things that people do in the name of religion? Think about their, those mothers that throw their children to the waiting crocodiles in the Ganges River. You think about those that literally are, are burning their children with fire. You think about all of the maddening things that people do in the name of religion. And by the way, religion comes in many different forms, as I talked about last week. And no one religion is any better than another religion. It's just different. It might be more appealing to a certain culture. You know, it might be something that would be more appealing to you, but in the end, it is a broken cistern because there's no 
salvation in religion. Now, notice, they had forsaken the Lord. They had formed these cisterns that absolutely could not satisfy. But notice, it says that they found nothing. He describes them as broken cisterns that hold no water. In other words, everything that they had invested their time, their money, their effort, every ounce of energy that they had put into these things, ultimately it failed because there was no satisfaction. You know, we're talking about the dumbest decision that a person could make. And how dumb is that? To turn our back on the one and the only one that can possibly satisfy our soul, the only source of satisfaction. Remember Jesus said, speaking about being the living water, and he said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. I'm so glad that when I drank of that fountain that Jesus satisfied me, and I've been satisfied ever since. I think about Solomon and the difficult experiment that he went through and the horrible experience that experiment turned out to be. He tried everything under the sun and he said it's all vanity. There's nothing worth living for. In fact, he came to the conclusion that he hated life. Here's a man that absolutely with all of these things in order to experiment with come to the conclusion that life is something to be despised rather than something that is delightful. Now, the sad thing is that so many people wait until it's too late before they really get concerned about what's important. By that, I mean a lot of people are satisfied with something that doesn't satisfy. You talk to them about their spiritual needs, and they would tell you, well, you know, I'm satisfied with my religion. I joined this religion or that religion or a certain denomination, and I'm satisfied. And they'll even tell you that I believe that whenever I die, I, you know, I just feel good about my chances. I think if anybody's going to make it, I'll make it. But let me tell you, that doesn't get you to heaven. And how sad it is. And these are the hardest people on earth to reach. Those people that think that they've got their act together. You remember there in Matthew, whenever the Lord in chapter number 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, and whenever they stand before Him, they say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in Your name? Or we've prophesied in Your name. In Your name we've cast out devils. We've done all of these things. And notice... They said, it was all in your name. And he says to them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. He doesn't say that there was a time whenever I knew you, and then you lost your relationship. It's as though he's saying that you never had a relationship with me. You see, so many times we think about salvation as being all about us knowing the Lord, when in reality it's about the Lord knowing us. And by that I mean salvation is the result of being accepted by the Father on the basis of the Son. He's made us accepted in the Beloved, Paul says. 
There's no satisfaction in religion or any of these other things that I mentioned. And those that embrace religion, even though they have a sense of satisfaction, are deceiving themselves because there's absolutely no hope. I think about the woman at the well, and that actually a very sad story because here is a woman, you know, that thought that she had it all figured out and uh, you know, part, of a, part of a system that... Uh, that hopefully would bring about a desired end. And the Lord said, if you knew, if you knew anything about the water that I speak of, you would ask. And he said, I would give it to you. Amen. Amen. And thank God in the end, in the end, ultimately her eyes were opened and her need was met. For several years now, I've, thought about writing a series of articles about uh, childhood experiences, places and places and things. I've got a whole list of different things when I think back, you know, there, there's the old, old pond and there's the old mill and there's the old this and there's the that and all of these different things. And but one of the dearest spots to me that I can think of was what we, well, we called it the old schoolhouse spring. It was down in a little ghost town uh, in a place called Phoenix, Missouri. It was right there by an old deserted rock quarry. And the schoolhouse sat down in the valley with some of the tallest trees you've ever seen in all of the world. And blackberry patches all around it there. All of the houses were falling down. The old schoolhouse was still there, an old one-room schoolhouse. And when Dad and I'd go down, we'd always end up the trip there at that spring, which was just a little ways outside the front door of the old schoolhouse. Boy, we'd get down there and drink of that cool, clear water, and, and there was just absolutely nothing else like it. And whenever I think about the spiritual application here, because when I look back on that childhood experience, I was a young boy then that had never been in church, knew nothing whatsoever about the Bible, knew nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ, until finally one day someone told me about Christ. I felt like a shell of a man. I was young, I was healthy, I was strong. But yet I knew even there in, in all of my spiritual ignorance, I knew that there's something missing, there's something wrong, there's got to be more to life than this. And Bev, better than anybody else on earth, knew of the sad dissatisfaction that I had. I couldn't find it in a bottle. I couldn't find it anywhere else. I didn't know what I was looking for. I just knew there had to be more than this. And every day I felt like just the shell of a man until somebody told me about Jesus. And I'll tell you what, when I learned about him, the one who is the fountain of living water, and I drank of that water and I ate of the bread of life, I've been satisfied since that day. I can look back on that time and know beyond any shadow of a doubt that He saved me and He satisfied me and He has provided my security and will 
throughout all of eternity. You see, that's the God I want you to understand this morning. That's the God I want you to think about. I want you to realize that the broken cisterns of this world will never satisfy. You might get what you're searching for. You might think that it'll bring satisfaction. But after you get it, you'll discover it was a broken cistern that there's no satisfaction there whatsoever. But when you come to Jesus Christ, it'll make all of the difference in the world. And I'm so glad, you know, that I can stand here today and know that I've put my hand in the hand of the man who walks on the water, that I've got my feet upon the rock that'll never be moved. I've got my eyes on the prize of the one who never fails. I've got my mind on the Lord Jesus Christ who is altogether lovely and, lo- and, and lovely to look at the one who never fails. I'm glad that I have my hands to the plow, my eyes on the Lord I'm glad that He's put a song in my mouth, even praise unto Him, knowing that I'm satisfied every single day. It makes no difference what the government does. It makes no difference what anybody else does. The one thing that nobody can take away, the one thing that nobody can disrupt is my relationship with Jesus Christ and the joy that it brings. And listen, that's the well that I want you to drink from this morning. That's the discovery I want you to make. Anything else will be the dumbest decision that you could ever make. Come to the one who absolutely never fails and you'll leave here today just like just like I walked out of that little church house in Wilder, Missouri many years ago, walking out thinking every bird was singing Amazing Grace and that a million pounds had been lifted off of my shoulders. God gave my wife a new husband and my children a new father and the world a new man and gave my life a new purpose. And there's not been one second of regret. Bev's been kind of preachy this morning. She's been not kind of, she's been really preachy this morning. And we've had several really good sermons. Uh, uh. I'm saying this for God. I'm probably digging myself a hole. But she's been reminding me no regrets. Wouldn't it, listen, wouldn't it be good if we would all live with that in mind every moment that we live our life? I'm sitting in my office, she's in the other one, I heard her holler, no regrets. That's good preaching, amen? That's the way we ought to live our life where there are no regrets. That when we come down to the end of our road and we look back and we think, hey, <laughs> no regrets. And I'm telling you, if you'll drink of the fountain of living water and trust in the one who never fails, you'll die without any regrets. Because you can't change the past. You can't go back and undo that. But I'll tell you what, you can do something about the future. And that's to drink of the well that never runs dry. Are you thirsty? Listen, he offers it free of charge. Water, eternal life, without money, without price. I hope you, I hope you drink of that water today. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness.
We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the instructions that you give in your word. We thank you for the provisions that you've made through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So know that we don't have to spend our life searching for things that that ultimately do not satisfy. It's not about what we do and the things that we form and the work that we do and, and the labor. But all, it's all about what you've provided, just like a just like a massive fountain that's bubbling up from the earth. Because of what Jesus did there on a hill called Mount Calvary, we know that the water of life is available to whosoever will. And regardless of who we are and what we've done, we know that it's there for the taking. And I pray today that none would refuse. For we pray in Jesus' dear name. I've asked him to sing this song, and this is our invitation. Think about what he's saying. There's a river that never fails to meet our needs. That There is a vast supply. A vast supply. Plenty for everyone. There is a could never satisfy her life was ruined and wasted and her soul was bound for but then she met the master Thank mm-hmm. you.
great to think about the fact that not only is there a river that brings satisfaction, but it'll never run dry. It'll never, never run dry. You think all of the way back to the day of Pentecost. Think about that. 3,000 people saved back then. And you think about all down through the centuries, uh, you know, the untold thousands and thousands of people that have trusted Christ as their Savior. And His blood is sufficient today, just like it was back then. Thank God for that. And thank God for His many blessings. We're so glad 